One of life's greatest questions is what happens to us after we die. Is death the end or a new beginning? Welcome to the Round Trip Death Podcast. In this show, we listen to first-hand accounts of people who have been clinically dead and return to talk about it. I'd like to welcome to the podcast today, Katie Ray Allison up in Montana. How are you, Katie Ray? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. Not bad at all. We had an interesting conversation the other day, and you told me a little bit about your experience, your near-death experience. And one of the th- one of the things that I'm really kind of excited about today is the fact that other than your therapist, you haven't shared this with anybody. No, I haven't. So I, I hope you feel very comfortable sharing anything and everything. And I hope you find this a little bit therapeutic too. Yeah, that's what I'm, what I'm hoping for. I'd love to jump right in and tell me what happened to you. I know you had a car accident a year or two ago. Why don't you give us a little bit of background about what was going on and what happened to you? Sure. So um, I'm from Montana and I just moved to Wyoming for a job. And I'd only been there about three weeks. Um, this was about a year and a half ago. And I went to my friend's house for Thanksgiving. And um, last I knew I was leaving their house that night and driving home. And I actually do remember uh, very faintly of driving past my house. So I went home at one point, but I didn't stop. I kept going. Um, and then I ended up out um, out of town, kind of off a highway somewhere I'd never been before. Um, I don't know why I went out there, uh, but there was a right hand turn in the highway, like a 90 degree turn. And it was going under the interstate. So it was an underpass. I must have, I didn't see it. And the embankment coming down from the interstate, I hit head on. Um, and then my airbags never went off. And so I, I was wearing glasses and I hit my face on the steering wheel and my glasses actually went through my face, cut my face, uh, to my skull, um, and knocked me out. And I don't know how long I was out for. Um, I just know by the time I'd left my friend's house and by the time somebody found me, it'd been about eight hours or so. Um, and it was really cold. So I was about half frozen when somebody, uh, finally stopped to help me. Um, and I had fractured my lower back and, um, had plenty of stitches to the face and, um, a terrible concussion. I actually ended up in physical therapy for it because the concussion was so bad. So that's what happened. Um, when I, I don't remember any of the accident at all. Uh, I just remember when I finally woke up, it was pitch black outside. I was very cold. And I didn't know what had happened. And so I went to go try and turn the key on my car and nothing happened. And I was like, oh my gosh, I must have wrecked my car. Um, And I tried looking for my cell phone um, and it it was actually on the floorboard. Everything was like pretty much on the floorboard or up in the dash. Like everything in my car had been thrown forward. Um, And when I was finally able to reach my phone, it was dead. So I didn't have any help. So I just sat out there in the dark forever. And a lot of cars actually passed me um, without stopping. Um, And then finally, I I was so cold. I knew I needed to like get some help. And so the next set of headlights that pulled up, I jumped out of my car and waved them down. And uh, they 
were able to put me, he put me in his pickup and tried to get me warm up and then actually took me back to his house, which wasn't far from there because his girlfriend or something was an EMT or something like that. So they took me back there and um, called the ambulance and then they took me to the hospital and they stitched up my face and sent me home <laughs> pretty much with a walker and a back brace. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're okay. Eight hours is a yeah, long time. It was a long time. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, uh, because I am a Montana girl, I had a lot of winter gear in my car. Um, but something I learned the hard way is don't put that winter gear behind your driver's seat. Cause if your back's broken, it's really hard to reach it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it, it definitely, I was definitely grateful for all my winter gear in there. Else I don't think I would have lasted that long yeah. for sure. Yeah. So at some point during this, um, you, you had what you believe is a near death experience. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, what made me like really dig into, uh, what happened, uh, when I was out is that when I woke up, I didn't have a seatbelt on and I always, always, always wear my seatbelt. I'm a stickler about that. And there was very obvious bruising from the seatbelt. So it very, was very obvious that I was wearing my seatbelt when I wrecked, uh, when I woke up, I didn't have a seatbelt on and there was blood all over my car and it was all over my purse and it was like inside my purse and inside my wallet. So I had been awake, uh, while my face was bleeding. I don't know if I was trying to find my cell phone or trying to do something. Um, and then my, one of my friends washed my hair that night and she was like, what were you doing outside? Your hair is full of grass and sticks. And, and I was like, I was never outside. And we went back to where I wrecked and there's actually like a puddle of blood on the ground. And so at some point I must've been laying on the ground, uh, but I don't remember any of that. And so it really bothered me that like my life had happened without me remembering it. Um, and prior to this, I'd been seeing a therapist and uh, we had been doing EMDR, I believe it's called. And it is processing memories and processing through like the emotions of those memories. And, um, you know, so that they don't, it kind of takes the emotion out of it, so to speak. So it's not like such a traumatic memory for you. Um, so that's what I had been doing prior to this. Um, and with that, a lot of suppressed memories will come up, you know, things that you might've, your brain would have forgotten, uh, because it was so traumatic. Um, and so sometimes those things will come up and, uh, you have to process through those again. And so, um, when I was able to, I really didn't know like <laughs> what planet I was on or what my first name was for quite a while. Uh, but when I was able to, uh, I scheduled an appointment with my therapist again, so we could start working through some of this. And so, uh, through that, and then, um, through, you know, meditation and dreaming and stuff. I've always been a dreamer since I was a little girl, um, have like very vivid dreams. I can still like tell you an entire dream from when I was eight years old. <laughs> and so, um, through that and meditation and the EMDR, I've been able to actually, uh, bring all the memory back and including the memories of the car accident and like what happened in that, which was awful. I could have done without that part, <laughs> but, um, but anyways, I was able to, uh, remember this experience, I guess. And, and it was different than a dream. How, um, different than a dream. Then it was more dimensional, I guess. 
Um, it was more interactive with people that were in the dream. Um, I don't, I really don't know how to describe it more than just like being dimensional. I feel like my dreams are usually like pretty flat, you know, cause it's just kind of like something happened and you talk to so-and-so and then there was, you know, something weird happened, but this was like very interactive and you could feel things and there was people talking to each other. And, but when people were talking to each other, words weren't even being said. It was like, you could just hear each other talking to each other, I guess. I don't know. It was just different in that it was different in like the, the landscape and everything was nothing like I'd ever dreamt about. And then I guess like, just like the going in and out of it, like how I got there and how I left the dream. I remembered all that. I just remember all of it. And it was just, just like they said, the dimensions and the way everything interacted and how everybody like spoke with each other was all very different than what my dreams are normally like. And much more real. It sounds like. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I definitely feel it. There's things that happen um, now that it like um, triggers a memory from that. I'm like, oh yeah, that's like when I was in that place. Yeah. Well, let's jump into it. What what happened? What happened first? What what do you remember from start to finish? Sure. So I guess something I want to start with is that uh, when I was a little girl, my dad passed away. And even though I was very young, we were very close. Uh, we're very alike people. And I have dreamt about him so much since then. Um, I've also miscarried two babies, a little boy and a little girl. And I dream about them often as well. Um, and so with that, uh, the way all this started is that um, the little boy and the little girl were actually like in a little canoe. Um, and the water was so blue it was almost black. It was very dark, but you could still see like the tops of the waves and things, you know, like, like a light source, like if the sun's hitting a, the waves and you can see, you know, like that glimmer on there. Um, it was like that, but you couldn't see like a sun or a moon or any kind of light source, but it was like that. And anyways, they're in a canoe and they're going to the shore. And when you look up towards the shore, the water runs right into the sky. The water and the sky are the exact same color. The only way you can tell the difference between the two is that the stars is full of stars. And so you can see that line where you can just like see the glimmer of the waves, then it just turns into stars. And it's like I said, it's almost black, but it's still blue. Um, so anyways, they get to the shore and there's this tall, tall grass and um, this like little dirt path, like beaten down dirt path. And I'm actually standing on the shore uh, waiting for them to get there in their little canoe. And um, I'm actually dressed in like a, I don't know if you call it like an early 1900s, like the, you know, like the big long dresses that like come up the neck. And I had my hair up like in a bun like that. And um, anyways, I greeted them at the shore and they got out of their canoe and then we ran up the path and then there was this house. And for some reason, I thought of it as a lighthouse, but there wasn't actually a light coming from the house, I guess. Um, I think the only reason I thought that is because we went in there and I remember going up these stairs and the stairs went up the side of the wall, kind of like a castle tower, if that makes sense. Um, and I remember going up those stairs and we came up to like this little tower and it had windows all around it and we kind of had 
played up there and, you know, hugged and giggled and, um, you know, just happy to see each other. And then, uh, then there was like a thunder, like you could tell the storm was coming in. Um, and it just got really dark. So how did you know that they were your babies? Um, because, uh, when I lost the first one, uh, she came to me, I was in a dream and she was standing on the street and, uh, she went to go run out in the street and I had reached out and grabbed her hand and said, be careful. And she turned around and she said, okay, mom. And, and then I just knew that, um, you know, that had just happened. So I knew it was her. And then several years later, when I miscarried the second, I had this dream that we were actually at like a party kind of, there was like a long table full of food and there was lots of people there. And we, this, she was there and I dreamt of her several times before this, but she was there and she wanted to go for a walk through the hills and the hills in Montana, Eastern Montana anyways, are like very dry. It's sagebrush and cactus. And, and so it was very, I could tell where we were and, or that it was like this. And she's holding my hand we're walking through the hills and there's a little boy there. And I've still never seen this little boy's face before. Um, but he looked, she looked at him and he said, is he yours? And I didn't even think about it. And I said, yeah, he's mine. And she was like, oh, okay. And so she went up and grabbed his hand. And then every dream I've had about her since he's been with her. Um, and so they're always together now. And so that's why when I saw this, I knew exactly who they were, even though I've never seen his face, but he's always with her. <laughs> Right. That's really cool. Okay. What did you guys do together? Um, in the tower, like I said, we were just giggling and tickling and just enjoying the moment um, until like this storm had started to come in and they were scared. So they ran down the stairs and they went and hid in like a cupboard, like under the kitchen sink or something like that. And so I went down the stairs and, you know, kind of laughed at him and I'm like, oh, it's just a storm. You're okay. Come out, you know, and coaxed him out of there and, and hugged him. And then we went over to, um, this couch that was in front of this huge picture window. It was huge. And, um, we sat on the couch and I was like, let's just watch the storm come in. Cause that's what I used to do when I was little. And I was never scared of storms. I would just go sit in front of the windows and watch them come in. I loved them. So I was like, let's just watch the storm come in. And, um, and at that same time, my dad walked into the house and he looked, um, upset. Uh, but like I said, nobody really like said anything. So he never said anything to me. Um, and he wasn't like crying or anything, but he was just very like straight faced, like almost looked like he had no emotion, but you could really tell that something was bothering him. Uh, but he just kind of let it go and came and sat on the couch with us. <clears throat> and the storm wasn't even a storm. It rained, but the sun shined the whole time it was raining. Um, and so everything glowed. And this is what I meant when it's different than a dream. Um, like the grass and the trees and everything was so green. I can't even say it's like neon green because it wasn't like that. It was more of like a it glowed, but like glowed from it within, not because something was shining on it because itself was glowing. Um, and so everything glowed while the raindrops came down. And, um, I remember there being like some little birds flying around and this elk actually came out from the trees and came up to the window 
and the kids were like putting their hand on the window and it was like putting its nose up against their hands and stuff. And a little raccoon popped up and was playing on the window with the kids too. And so like everything was like gorgeous and happy. Um, but then my dad was just sitting there like visibly upset about something. Do you know what he was upset about? Yeah. So, uh, it took me a while to figure this one out or to find this one out. Um, uh, but about the same time all of this happened, uh, he didn't want me to leave. He knew I was going to have to go back and he didn't want me to, he wanted me to stay. And I knew that, but I knew that I needed to go back. And so like about that same time, uh, two men showed up and I don't really want to say they were in a uniform, but they kind of matched. Like you could tell that they were, you know, not our friends coming over for supper. So how were they dressed? Oh, I don't remember that part so much. I just remember that they were matching and that they had some kind of headwear on. Like, I want to say a helmet, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like a military, you know, like I would think if they didn't look a aggressive or like, you know, they were just dressed so that you knew that they belonged to something or were a part of something, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, but anyways, they showed up. And I knew I had to go back and I was okay with that. Uh, but I think that if they wouldn't have showed up, I think I would have hung out there as long as I possibly could. Um, I definitely was not in a hurry to leave, uh, but they came to get me. And so it was very bittersweet because my dad really didn't want me to leave. And I really didn't want to leave my dad, but I knew I needed to, you know, and the kids were fine. They were playing with all the animals at the window. They were totally okay. Uh, but these guys were like, we need to go now. Like, you've got to leave right now. Like they were very serious and they were very urgent. And I was definitely like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, like I said, I could have hung out there so much longer, <laughs> uh, but they were like, they weren't like forceful, but they were like really close to acting that way. <laughs> and they were like, no, right now you've got to go. And so I remember like leaving the house and walking back down that dirt road with them back to like the tall grass. And I remember like looking back at the house and seeing my dad, like upset that I was leaving. Let me ask you something before you move on. How did you remember how you were feeling at that point, leaving these people that you love so much that had to have been difficult? It wasn't though, is the thing. Um, I think that, you know, I've lived all this time without them. And I think that I know I'm going to see them again, and then I won't have to leave then. Um, you know, so I think that I knew I was very excited to be there with them. And every dream is like that. We're always excited and everybody's hugging each other, uh, but I always have to go back. And so, so no, I wasn't like, I wasn't distraught in the slightest. Um, I wasn't upset at all. Um, I was perfectly okay with going back. I, it, I just knew I had to. And I think that it was just the knowing that I would see them again that kept me from being upset. Yeah. I mean, I was like, I was on cloud nine while I was there. There wasn't anything bothering me. I wasn't sad or mad or anything. Everything was just like pure bliss, you know? And I felt bad that my dad was upset, but like, I think I just had such a strong understanding of what I was supposed to do and what was going to happen that I was at peace with that as well. Yeah. I love that word bliss. That's awesome. Okay. You were, you were going on to what happened next. 
Yeah, sure. Okay. So the next thing I remember is that um, I was in this space and everything is like gray. Um, and there's like, there's no walls, there's no floor, there's no dimension to this place. It's just like a, I don't even know. I don't even want to say a bubble. I mean, there's no lines anywhere. There's no kind of structure of any sort. Um, but I'm standing in this space and this being um, is the best word I can come up with. I don't know if you've seen the cartoon uh, Brave and they have the wisps that go into the forest. Well, they look like a little ball of like smoke, fire, kind of, uh, but they're just like this little ball and they just kind of like float around and they kind of look like fire, but they're soft like smoke. And anyways, this being reminded me of one of those, but it was actually like in human form but it glowed purple, green, and white. And like the essence of this being was like fire, but not intense, more like smoke. It just reminded me of one of those little characters. Um, and I don't remember at this point, point in time, I don't remember anything that he told me at all. I just remember having an understanding that I had to go back. And at this time, when I'm talking to him, I'm in more like modern clothes, just like, you know, jeans and a shirt and my hair is normal. <laughs> and it's just like more modern times. And I don't remember anything he told me. I just remember being in agreement with it. And then it was like, it was like a cartoon, this little space and like this uh, hole popped up out of like the wall. And it was like a white hole. And I just kind of like stepped my foot through it and then just like went out the other side and wasn't in this gray space anymore. Um, and then the very next thing that I, I was watching it and it was like, I was watching it from the highway. I was back to the accident scene and I watched a man actually pick me up off the ground and put me back in my car. And I, like I said, I was watching it from the highway so I couldn't see his face. I couldn't even see what I looked like, nothing. I just watched this man pick me up and set me back inside my car. Who do you think that was? I have no clue. I haven't the slightest idea. No idea. I don't recognize him at all. There's a part of me that thinks it was my dad. There's a, a definitely a part of me that thinks that, but I don't really have any clarification on that. And who do you think that being was that you saw? I, I don't know either. I think that's just somebody that kind of handles the in-between stuff, you know, like somebody who kind of like says, okay, here's your job. This is what you're supposed to do. Don't forget to do this. Good luck to you. Kind of yeah. like that's kind of how I imagine them anyways. And your job is to go back right now. Yes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty wow. How does that make you feel to talk back through all that? Better. Um, definitely better. It's good. It's good to talk about it. Um, you know, I think I haven't told anybody because I don't want anybody to think I'm like, the village crazy lady or something like that. <laughs> it's a lot to take in. And I think that if you're somebody who isn't open-minded to those kind of things, um, you know, you're definitely not accepting of that. And so that's something that I really worried about too, is like people trying to contradict me, you know? And so I've just been really quiet about it, but it's definitely nice to talk about it again. You know, it brings a lot of like happy feelings and good memories to me as well. Well, I think there's a lot of groups out there that are making near-death experiences become a little bit more mainstream slash believable right now. 
Right. Um, there's a lot of scientific studies and groups. There's Facebook groups. There's one with over a hundred thousand people on it and things like that. So I think if this was, you know, 40 or 50 years ago, yeah, they may have just locked you away, but, but now, (laughs) but now I don't think so much. No. And some people still may think you're crazy. Some won't, but the more people hear podcasts like this with other people, it sounds so credible like you, I can tell you're not crazy. Um, that, uh, that hopefully it's becoming more, more believable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is I believe it with everything I have, because I would love to just tell myself it was some crazy dream, you know, that'd be easier to understand or accept, I guess, but, uh, that's definitely not, not the case. Sorry. I, I hope this isn't appropriate, but I feel like you've left something out that you wouldn't mind sharing. What else is there that happened? That's really, I mean, that's really all I remember at the moment. Uh, Something that I have been struggling with a lot is that uh, my dad actually passed away from suicide. Um, And so people say terrible things about people that die from suicide. Um, And all the terrible things they say are very wrong, uh, very untrue. And so that's something I've always struggled with. And with this, I struggled with it as well. And, um, my therapist mentioned that maybe, um, you know, where I went, you know, my dad was there and, you know, those babies were there and she's like, well, maybe that's just kind of like an in-between place or like purgatory or something like that because they were never born. And I'm still trying to do some searching on that one. Um, I'm not sold on that idea at all, actually, for being honest. Um, she's going to listen to this later too. So sorry. <laughs> um. Well, I feel, I feel bad that people have given you said things about the suicide. I, yeah. I just believe that we just cannot judge, you know, we are not in that person's head Agreed. or their emotions and we just can't absolutely cannot judge. Right. So, so we better just keep our mouth shut and rem- remove judgment and realize you know, that person was doing the very best that they could at that point in time. Right. And, and at that point in time, that's what they thought was best for everybody involved. And so, yeah, so I kind of feel like that theory still kind of comes from that stigma of um, what happens to people when they commit suicide, because I didn't feel that way at all. And there's actually, you know, I, I keep hearing, like, when I think back on that place of I've prepared a place for you. You know, and that's something that's in the Bible that God tells us he's prepared a place for us. And so I always wonder if like, what if that's my place? Like, what if that's our hangout, you know, and it's me and my dad and my kids and whoever else joins someday, you know, and um, so I wonder that a lot if that's where, you know, because I think that and it could be several places. I think there's earth is so small compared to the spiritual world or the universe or whatever you want to call it or compare it to, you know, it's so small. And so I think that whatever does happen to us or whatever is out there is more than our brains can fathom right now. I think it's so much more. I don't feel like that has any kind of negative thing to it because the, what I was concerned about was like, okay, well, if that's the case, then I'm not going to see them again someday. And, and that did make me upset. And I just, like I said, I just don't feel that way. I don't feel like that's, 
uh, the way it is. Cause I think that I would have been aware of that in that moment. You know what I mean? Um, cause you know, I left with like so much peace knowing that I would see them again. And I think that if that weren't the case, I think I would have been told otherwise, um, at that time. So yeah, I really don't believe that they're just like stuck in the middle somewhere. I don't believe that at all. So what do you believe happens in the long term? I don't know. And I'd hate to say it's like when somebody asks you what your five-year plan is, I'm like, it could change <laughs> tomorrow. You know, I have no idea. Um, but so far, uh, um, I have joined a lot of uh, near-death experience groups. And even before all this, I was very interested in all of it because I was very curious. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a very strict Christian home and, you know, they've all got their theories of where we go. And I always thought that sounded so boring, <laughs> so awful. And I was like, there's no way that's how it actually happens. And so that's why I really, I've always dug into, you know, what happens after we leave this earth. And from what I've researched so far, I think that you go to your own heaven, quote unquote, you know, wherever you are happiest or are happiest. And, and I think that there are people there that you will recognize and know that, you know, are your family and, um, you know, everybody's experience is very different, but from what I've collected to be similar in everybody's experiences is everybody goes to a place where they just feel weightless. They don't have a care at all. There's nothing stressing them out. They're not mad. They're not upset. They're just at so much peace. And, and most of the time too, there's, they meet people there uh, that they've known before in their lives and that, um, that were their family. And so yeah, I think you go to your very, <clears throat> excuse me, own little piece of heaven, whatever that may be. I think it's different for everybody, but I think that, yeah, you go to a good place. I don't think it's all like clouds and harps and <laughs> all that <laughs> stuff. I don't think that at all, unless that's what heaven would be like to somebody. Yeah. I think it's recognizable, but in a different light than sure. what we experience here. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and you said you felt bliss and I think everybody would feel bliss in a different way. Yes. Agreed. And for you, that was with your babies. Right. Yeah. And my dad. Yeah. And your dad. So that's something that you'll have. Right. Yep. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to share with everybody out there? I think, you know, if I could give like any sort of advice, it's to not think you're crazy. You're not crazy. I don't like, I, you know, definitely went through a traumatic brain injury and I still have issues with some of that. And so I thought maybe I was just coming up with crazy stuff. And I just know to my core, my heart, and my soul that, you know, that's not the case. And, um, you know, and to find a group or a person or something that makes you feel safe in those things, because the world is ugly and will try and take it away from you. And so I think that that's what I've experienced. Like, I guess that's my biggest takeaway from everything that I've studied too. And my own personal experience is, uh, keep it safe and find people to support you and those kinds of things too. And don't think you're crazy. <laughs> don't stay home all by yourself and not talk to anybody. Cause you had this crazy experience, you know, find somebody to share it with. And, and I, I really do believe that we go through things to help other people. Um, and that kind of sucks in the moment that we're going through those things, but later on, there's a huge payoff. And so that's what I'm hoping that doing this is going to help somebody else too, to know that they're not crazy either. 
That's great. Well, the people that are listening to this, they can't see the smile that you've had on your face almost the entire time. <laughs> and so I just want to congratulate you on being in such a good place. Thank you. About everything that's happened because it could yeah. be so hard and it seems like you're really in a good place. And um, so anyway, and thank you for being on the show today. Yeah, of course. Thank you for inviting me. Really good getting to know you and I wish you all the best and hopefully we'll talk again sometime soon. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. If you've had a round trip death experience and would like to share it with us, we would love to hear from you. Send an email to me, eric at roundtripdeath.com. And lastly, if you've found this program uplifting, if it's given you just a little more hope in the future, share it with a friend, rate us five stars, and be sure to visit roundtripdeath.com. Until then, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next. Thank you.